Trump's racist tweets, sweet corn in Iowa, an Iowa court finds that Governor Branstad discriminated, and Governor Reynolds admits she was lying about the courts all along. What a week. I'm Matt Sinovic, the Executive Director of Progress Iowa. I'm Lauren McNeil, the Digital Director of Progress Iowa. And we wanted to kind of explain to you all what, what we're going to be doing here every week. We have for, uh, for I don't know. Over uh, a year now, over, actually. Over a year, been doing what a week emails. Is that right? Yeah. So, and uh, we, we curate these news uh, headlines based on, on every week based on what people respond to on our social media channels. And our organization has an online network of 75,000 people. We have a great social media reach. And so as Lauren is uh, sharing these stories on social media, we track who shares what and what people are responding to. And so based on that, we've been sending out this weekly newsletter called What a Week. We're going to be taking those headlines every week and discussing them, analyzing them, and also having some special guests uh, uh, to, to interview. So um, we're very excited to be part of uh, the What a Week podcast, and we're we're very excited to be part of uh, Potluck, the Potluck Media Network, which is a new project of Progress Iowa. And uh, the What a Week podcast is going to be coming to you every every week. Imagine that. So let's start off with this week's headlines. And I think, Lauren, you've got the first one coming up. So unless you're a Republican elected official, you've no doubt read and heard about Donald Trump's racist tweets about four U.S. representatives, telling four U.S. representatives, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Tlaib, to go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came. There's a lot wrong with that, not even remotely, a whole lot lot (laughs) wrong with that. Not to mention the fact that three of these four women were born in the United States, and Ilhan Omar is a naturalized citizen who arrived as a refugee nearly three decades ago. Now, there's also a couple of senators, representatives who were actually born outside of the United States. Senator Ted Cruz was born in Canada. Representative Dan Crenshaw, the eye patch guy, was born in the UK, but uh, Trump doesn't seem to be impugning their patriotism too much. Representative Mark Meadows was born in France, and yet he remains one of Trump's closest allies in the House. Uh, do you, what do you think's the big difference between those two groups of people, though? Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of kind of hard to pin down. Um, Is it maybe I, it's, that it's, they're it's... women, or maybe that they're. Uh, people of color maybe yeah, right. you know trump doesn't seem too hot on either of those i know um i also wonder where where all this criticism was when um when president obama was in office and everyone was complaining or on their side you know no one like burning effigies of right. obama yeah. and <laughs> no one was told to go back to anywhere i mean no. um i mean no one would have i guess no one would have told me to go back to Croatia, uh, Czechoslovakia, any of the places that my grand, you know, that my grandparents or great grandparents came from. So, no, it's absolutely ridiculous. Also, wanting to make your country better and more equitable is a good thing, regardless of how angry it seems to make people who want patriotism to be this one-dimensional, wave the flag, stand for the anthem, and shut up about structural problems that mean I have to interrogate my own privilege, kind of thing. Dissent is, is, we've said it before, we've put it on postcards, we 
written op-eds about dissent is patriotic. It's literally in the Declaration of Independence how we got this country. But we just, yeah. Um, there was also a good, uh, or a, uh, there was also a reaction from uh, our own Iowa uh, delegation. So you had Senator Grassley really sort of, kind of, not really going after Trump. And but before that, really leaning into the criticism of of the squad, and and saying that both sides yeah. are the problem. His yeah. whataboutism. Just, um, and then and then Ernst saying one day that the, his tweets were racist. Um, I mean, just pretty clearly saying that, which was which was a little bit surprising to see that kind of direct criticism of President Trump from Senator Ernst. But that's, of course, not going to change anything about the way she votes or the way that she supports him or anything like that because, you know, she's up for election soon and she needs those Trump voters. And uh, now she's fighting with Steve King because Steve King, who, in case you've been living under a rock for the past couple of years, has been racist. He's been racist today. He's been, yeah, he's been racist for a long time. And uh, now Grassley doesn't want to get in the middle of that, like some dad at Thanksgiving. It's like, no, everyone just chill. (laughs) Um, I think it's funny, though, that even though Ernst said that, initially said that Trump's tweets were racist, then truly just almost immediately flipped around and said, but I'm still going to vote. I don't, like, basically said, I don't want anyone to get confused here. I think his tweets are racist, but I support him 100%. I'm never going to not vote for him. I'm going to do everything he says. You know, like oh, it's yeah. so it was very quick for, for her to do that. But even that wasn't enough for Steve King. Like he wanted full on support of, you know, he, he wanted full on support of, of Trump's racism. You know, but anything less than that wasn't wasn't good enough for him. Steve King is he doesn't want Joni Ernst to be a, a trail mix Trump supporter. <laughs> can't pick and choose what you want from trump um so i unfortunately i think we're going to see this continue to play out on the on the campaign trail i mean there's been a number of articles this week but it's nothing new i mean uh trump's whole identity um political identity came from birtherism you know um and and then even up until last year i mean he was pushing MS-13 and immigration fears, the horde at the border, down our throats. Um, and, and so this is what he does. This is how he's going to operate. And, and so we, need to be, we all need to be prepared for that and, and, know, and, and, and yeah, be prepared to fight back against that. So up next, we had the biggest event in Progress Iowa history this past week, the, the fifth annual Progress Iowa Corn Feed. Um, it, we had uh, more than 2,500 people attend. For the first time, it was in Cedar Rapids at Nubo City Market, um, which, you have, which if you haven't been, you should absolutely check out Nubo. Um, it's, a, it's a very cool, permanent downtown farmer's market with um, a ton of great vendors and small businesses that they support, great food. Anyway, it was, but the corn feed this year, we had uh, a, d- a dozen candidates confirmed to speak um we had a great crowd it was boiling hot uh so i'm sorry to everyone that that had to sweat it it out we should have renamed it the corn boil the corn boil we wouldn't have just set the corn outside and it would have boiled on the spot um 
but it was it was a, it was such a fun day and we heard from so many great candidates and we'll hear from a, a few of them later on in this episode for uh, for our interviews but um, but but it was you know it was an inspiring day to be a part of and so we want to thank everyone for coming out to that but we also want to sh- talk about how it is sort of emblematic of, of the way we run our organization which is that we want to provide a platform for people to hear candidates. It was a free event. It was accessible for, for people. Um, and it also helped lift up uh, local groups and state groups. We had more than 50 different organizations participate in our activist fair. So those 2,000, 2,500 people, whatever it was, they were able to show up and meet people from groups like the Interfaith Alliance of Iowa, One Iowa, Iowa Voices. Um, these great these organizations that do great work all year round, but you know, if you don't know about them, if you don't hear about them, this is just a way to get connected and, and learn more how to get involved. So people got to eat good food, listen to great, mu- listen to great music, uh, and hear from uh, a bunch of presidential candidates. But they also hopefully will, you know, make sure that that that, that momentum continues by getting connected with, with local groups. So we had a great time, and, and I know Lauren had a great time talking with some of the presidential candidates. Yeah, I got to sit inside. It was great in the air conditioning. <laughs> Just rub it in. Just yeah. <laughs> Marianne Williams told me her favorite part of the day was coming into the air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, I do not blame her for that. That's That makes sense. Uh, yeah, so I spoke with 11 presidential candidates. Uh, Mayor de Blasio, unfortunately, right. had to go back to New York to uh, handle the blackout. But it was a great opportunity to talk to all of the candidates who were able to show up and hear about their health care policies and what they're going to do to help workers and also their favorite moments from the corn feed. And, yeah, that was that's all I got for this. I was inside. <laughs> I didn't get to hear any of their stump speeches. Yeah. Um, I will say it was pretty remarkable to, to see all the people coming out and filling up uh, uh, Nubo. Um, with just a lot of energy and enthusiasm, and everyone stayed until the end. I mean, it was it was a it was very cool to see that level of enthusiasm on such a hot day. And I think it goes to show that people. I mean, every once in a while, we get asked like, "Is momentum? Is is are people's is people's enthusiasm still at a high level? Are they still motivated to come out and participate?" And I mean, I we think that's absolutely the case but sunday was a great example because i don't think you sit through 100 degree sweaty you know just weather um if you're not motivated to to see some changes being made so plus we only get to do this every four years so we gotta gotta get our kicks in while we can that's right you gotta see all these candidates while they're here so we should have made bingo cards candidate bingo cards maybe next year (laughs) next year Um, any ideas for next year to improve it what do you think I really want a walkie-talkie again. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, cool. Walkie-talkies. Um, I do think we could have a um, uh, something like where we where we have local uh, sweet corn growers or farmers in and have them all in one area of of the corn feed and and yes. and call it corn row. No, no good. <laughs> the corn stars. Yeah. No, it was great, and, and everyone should check out iowacornfeed.com. We'll have a survey up uh, for people who attended, and, and there'll be more information as we set next year's date um, uh, for, for that event. So uh, our third story this, this week uh, is that Chris Godfrey, the former Iowa Workers' Compensation Commissioner, has been awarded $1.5 million in damages 
uh, after finding that former Iowa governor and current ambassador to China, Terry Branstead, good old, good old Terry, discriminated against Chris Godfrey based on his sexual orientation. So when Branstead took office in a couple, a little bit of background on this, when Branstead took office in 2011, he sent a letter to all the department heads and division directors and state government asking them to resign so he could put his own team in place. And he said it was the practice of newly elected governors to do so. The problem is workers' compensation commissioners are appointed to six-year terms so that they can shield the position from political influence, which is, I don't know, I think that's right. a good idea, yeah, a, right. the correct thing yeah. to do. So Godfrey was appointed to a six-year term, and it overlapped with 2010, 2011. And so he was one of the officials to refuse, which I think is his right to do so. So then months later, Branstead was like, hey, I'm going to cut your salary from, I think the number is 112000 to like 73000 which is the lowest allowed by law for the job of Iowa Workers' Compensation Commissioner. Also, how do you get to become Iowa Workers' Compensation Commissioner? Because I would, I would love if the lowest salary for my job was $73,000. Sure. Uh Branstead said that while he was running for governor in 2010, he had heard complaints from business groups that Godfrey was not fair to employers. And so Branstead claims that he didn't want to fire Godfrey because he was gay, just that he was too friendly to workers, which is <laughs> ridiculous. That kind of sums up the governor, yeah. former <laughs> governor, in a nutshell, right? Like, yeah. um, give him any chance to attack attack uh, workers, and, and he'll, he'll take the bait. Um, I think the one number I saw was that this is going to end up costing the state like six million dollars. Oh, I'm sure. Between yeah. legal fees and, uh, um, and of course the the ruling in favor of Godfrey himself that that he'll get uh, that that he'll get paid rightfully so. But um, but it's going to end up costing the state around six. Uh, the, what I saw was six million dollars, which I mean it's not cheap to discriminate. Apparently, you know it costs. No, absolutely not. And that costs all of us. Um, which is which is another um, example that plus the uh, uh, sexual harassment uh, ruling that that came down on the uh, Iowa Senate Republicans um, too. Just another example of their their horribly bad behavior um, and and discriminatory behavior costing all of us taxpayers. Okay, so the Des Moines Register says that the private defense. Okay, so. Roxanne Conlin, Godfrey's attorney, uh, said she intends to request reimbursement for more than $2.6 million in attorney's fees. And the private defense attorneys Branstead hires have received more than $1.2 million from the state so far. And that the defense's total bill will top probably $2 million. We are all on the hook for all that money. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's, a part of that's because they keep appealing the decision. Like yeah. this, and 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 so I think we're still waiting to figure out if the state's gonna gonna appeal this ruling, um, which hopefully they just realize that they're throwing good money after bad, and and that you know it might not be a great idea to keep trying to defend uh, discriminatory behavior by our former governor, but um, but until then they may just keep uh, throwing money down the drain uh, to do that. What? Iowa governor's throwing money down the drain? 
like like giving money to Apple, the richest co- the richest company in you know I don't know if that's the correct. There's probably someone richer than Apple, but they make good. They make there. a lot of money. Yeah. And yeah, giving them tax breaks and giving extra money to Medicaid companies who are not helping their patients. <laughs> Not surprising, unfortunately. Not surprising at all. Our final headline of the week is Governor Reynolds basically admitting that she was lying this entire legislative session about the courts. I mean, talking about um, how proud she is that the court has shifted with her appointees, has shifted to the right, has become more conservative. She's very excited about that. And meanwhile, this entire legislative session as she and the Republicans in the legislature were pushing some very drastic changes to how we make our appointments to our courts. They were saying that it had nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with wanting to change the ideology of the court, only that they wanted to um, give, give more power to the, to the people because right. now the uh, minority and majority leaders of both chambers get to pick is it two people for the commission now and then maybe not i don't know yeah. i don't remember what was in the final bill it steve yeah i think but the the governor gets to pick extra people not extra people but pick more people <laughs> i think the governor gets to pick one more person okay and that tilts the whole balance yeah. you know because right now it's it's she picks she and the bar and the uh, uh, um, and she and the attorneys. This happened on the, in March. That's why we don't remember. No, but what she, she and the attorney. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. So the governor and the governor and the, the bill that they pass gives the governor pretty much the ultimate say yes. on who gets appointed. Yes. And so, um, but what she was, but what she was saying is that is what you were saying just a minute ago is that they wanted the people to have the power on this, which meant the governor gets the power, which is frankly absurd. I mean, this is not letting the people decide, and it's it's giving the governor complete control over who gets over who gets nominated instead of having that check and balance on on her appointment authority. And really, we had a great system in place with merit uh, with merit selection, and Iowa was a model. For, for how these uh, courts or how these uh, court appointments were made. I mean, you compare our, our, our system to a place like Wisconsin where, or in some other states where they, where they truly just have full-on campaigns for, uh, for Supreme Court justices. And that's terrifying to me. And that's, I think, the direction that they, if you carry out their argument to its natural conclusion, that's where I think they eventually want us to be is some sort of system that looks totally different than what we have now, but I think they they took what they could um, this session or did what they could this session, um, and this week the governor pretty much just said out loud what we all knew all along, which is that she wanted the court to go in a rightward direction, and it makes you think what else you know what else are they willing to do to change our fundamental institutions of government? They're just mad about. <laughs> activist judges and wanting people to you know stick to 
the original text of the Iowa Constitution, which which says that all people are created free and equal, yeah. which is apparently not copacetic to the conservative agenda. Well, it's definitely not. I mean, I think the if if we hadn't had the Varnum ruling uh, in favor of same-sex marriage, if we hadn't had a number of rulings in favor of 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 Planned Parenthood or in favor of women's rights of a woman's right to choose, none of this would be happening. I mean, they just don't agree with some of the rulings that justices have made, and many of them were appointed by Governor Branstad. I mean, these are not, you know, flame-throwing liber- liberals on the on the bench. I mean, these are Republic people who were appointed by Republicans, but they just disagreed with the decision, so they're changing how they make up the court, and that's. That's not how our government should operate, especially not our, ju- our judicial branch, whose job is to uphold the law. What we have to be worried about with, I mean, with her, with the governor's admission this week that her goal is to make the court more conservative is that, I mean, we can't trust what she's telling us when she's trying to push these policy changes. I mean, she didn't say that this session. I mean, that was not their argument when they were trying to make or trying to change how, how nominees are picked. I mean, they weren't talking about the ideology of it at all. And so now they're talking, you know, now they've said publicly that they have no intention to change how our political maps are drawn and no intention to allow gerrymandering in our state. Sure, Tim. Um, right. I mean, so, but I don't, I mean, I wouldn't trust that for for anything. I mean... I, I, I mean, they didn't. They didn't say that they were gonna. They were gonna tweak the collective bargaining laws to make it more. Uh, they never talked about collective bargaining changes. They didn't talk about changes to the court, but they did it anyway. And so you have to wonder if they're gonna, if they're gonna mess with how we draw our maps and run our elections. I mean, uh, so. So I, mean, I think they already kind of did mess with how we run our elections with the voter ID law in 2017 and shortening early voting and shortening early voting. Yeah. That's part of it. Yeah. Um, so we just got to be prepared to um, push back because I think they're gonna. I, I think there's a chance that they they come back and and this next session and and push some changes to our to and 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 increase the possibility of gerrymandering. But it'll be some small thing like, oh, we're going to take this off of the legislative services agency's plate and give it to, I mean, this is hyperbole, but we're going to give it to Jeff Kaufman or something so that he can, you know, he's a professor of politics. You know, he really knows what he's doing with the maps. Yeah. And <laughs> Whatever it is will seem very, <laughs> very innocuous. maybe not that. Yeah. That, that. That wouldn't seem innocuous that, that to me. But, right, but, but it'll seem but, very yeah, innocuous will, and right. then. Steve Holtz will get up and talk about how this is this is what the people wanted, and and people will and I don't know exactly. Even they didn't campaign yeah. on it yeah, at no, all. No. Like yeah, well, they won't be campaigning at all because right. it's not electioneering. Right. Um, They'll campaign on it probably afterwards if they get it passed. Up next, we have highlights from my conversations with the 11 presidential candidates who appeared at the Corn Feed, and I got to talk to them about their favorite moments from the Corn Feed, so take a listen. Senator Michael Bennett. My favorite moment was just having the chance to, to, to get out and meet people and have conversations with them both before and after I spoke. It was really fun. I can't tell you what a privilege it is to have the chance to come to a place like this and have people be as kind and open and, and 
thoughtful as the people are that I've met today. So that meant a lot to me, and my daughter Caroline is here too. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. I think my favorite moment is yet to come because I'm told there's some ice cream out there. But uh, you know, it felt pretty good when I arrived to see uh, just how many people are here, uh, how many are braving the heat to support one another, to stand up for their values. Uh, and of course, it felt pretty good when uh, uh, they stood up to uh, uh, to support me at the end of my speech too. Secretary Julian Castro. Oh, my favorite moment is just uh, you know, seeing all of the people there so tapped into and interested in our democratic process. And this is something that's been really uh, thrilling to me the whole way through. Campaigning in Iowa for the first time in my life, really. It's neat that Iowans take public service and politics so seriously. They take their role of vetting presidential candidates as seriously as they should. That's a great thing to see. And it's always neat and charming to see it on display in an event like today. John Delaney. you know, I just think walking out and seeing that big crowd, you know, it's hot out there. Yes. It's really hot out there. And there's tons of people out there. So that tells me people really, you know, are focused on this election because they're willing to sit out there in this heat and listen to candidates. So that was probably my favorite moment when I turned around on that stage and looked out and said, wow, there's a lot of people here and it's really hot. So I just get energized by the commitment of these people, you know, who there's definitely places they could be sitting there a lot more comfortable, like in an air-conditioned room like this. They're out there and uh, listening to candidates and doing their job here in Iowa, which is to figure out all these candidates. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. I have to say uh, it was saying hello to Iowans, um, taking a lot of selfies. Um, I have not gotten to eat anything yet, so I think the greatest moment is yet to come. So you might have a suggestion for me about what I should try. Um, but I have to say it's an amazing community and all the people that turned out and want to take pictures and hear your positions, you have some amazing advocates. Um, I talked to a woman who's advocating for the disability community. I talked to an advocate for the mental health community. I talked to our uh, Planned Parenthood advocates about women's reproductive freedom. And it really makes a difference when people come out to speak to presidential candidates about what they care about. Governor John Hickenlooper. Oh, I think it was when I was outside and got a little ice cream. It was pretty hot. Um, but it's great. It's always great to see the other candidates and hear what their thoughts are and, and hear what, that, what they think. Governor Jay Inslee. Uh, my favorite moment was meeting uh, 10-year-old Liam, who had not one, but two uh, sticks of corn he was eating on simultaneously. To me, that is the spirit of Iowa. So if we can have that uh, that appetite for good corn and a new president, we're going to do really well. Senator Amy Klobuchar. Well, it was eating a piece of the margarita pizza with corn on it. I mean, I enjoyed the weather, not really, but I enjoyed all the Iowans here and, um, and our great team that's signing everyone up for our campaign. But that pizza with corn on it was something I'd never tried before. It was quite a delicacy. So I will bring that news back to Minnesota. Congressman Seth Moulton. You know, I think that uh, it's it, it's an honor to be here and to be welcomed by so many people when I uh, just opened the back door and, and, and walked in from uh, just rushing on. I mean, I got up at um, got up at 4:45, got on a uh, left the home left my home at 5:30 this morning, got on a 7 a.m. flight, uh, went through Chicago, uh, drove down from Des Moines. Uh, it was a long trip, but to be so warmly welcomed the minute I walked in the door. Uh, with a lot of people who just wanted to say hi, wanted selfies, you know, wanted autographs or whatnot. Um, it just shows what uh, 
what a, what a wonderful community it is here in Iowa. And uh, what a great reception for a big field of, of very talented candidates. And I'm proud to be a part of it. Congressman Tim Ryan. Oh, my God. It was so hot. The beer after. <laughs> it was delicious. I had, uh, I, I can't remember the local brewery here uh, that's up the street, but literally hot as could be. And there was a nice cold local brew. <laughs> And the corn, I've never had that. I've never had the corn with the mayonnaise on it. Yeah. Unbelievable. But my staff kept telling me I had to wipe my face because it, like, sticks to your face. Marianne Williamson. Coming into the air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back into the building. I had that feeling, too. Um, and like, then, I'm enjoying talking to you because it's not hot. We didn't yeah. talk. It's like I wish the whole thing could just be like this. Thanks for listening to What A Week. We'll talk to you next week.